the episode you are about to hear was created prior to our rebranding to Foul Play. If you have any information on any of our cases, you can visit us at itsfoulplay.com. In 1969, around the same time period as Sister Kathy went missing, Lil Hughes was a young sophomore at Keough High School. While in class one day, the loudspeaker interrupted. Lil was to go immediately to Father Maskell's office, and thus began her job as Father Maskell's confidential student secretary. Everybody, this is Gemma, and this evening I have another really dear friend that I'm in awe of, one of my besties now, for a lot of reasons. We have the same opinions about the world, about the country, but she also is an amazing female hero from the Keepers, and we're going to be interviewing our dear friend Lil Hughes-Nip. You will remember Lil from the Keepers as Joseph Maskell's student secretary. So, Lil, welcome to the program. Thank you, Gemma. So, Lil, thank you definitely for being on. We had a discussion in our podcast discussion group on Facebook, and it seemed like you were the person that everyone wants to hear from. Gemma just mentioned how you both are kind of the same person, but aren't you both also redheaded? Um, we are. <laughs> well, mine. <laughs> All right, mine comes out of a box. Thank you very much. <laughs> the secret. Well, yeah, well, mine comes seen... out of a box now too, but oh, I am it. an original. <laughs> so well, you all have seen Lil's gorgeous, gorgeous picture from her yearbook. So, all right, Lil, can you tell us a little bit about your background, uh, specifically about your your family and where you grew up? I grew up as one of eight children in a large Irish Catholic family, a middle-class family. We lived in uh, Relay, Arbutus, Catonsville in Maryland. My dad was a salesman and my mom was a homemaker. What differentiated my family was that my oldest brother, Mike, was uh, developmentally and physically disabled. And he was that way because he was born on Christmas. Although Lil's dad was deployed for the war. He returned home for Christmas. Her mom delivered in the same hospital she worked. She came to the hospital with her contractions very close apart, and her doctor was at a, a Christmas party and was drunk. And back in those days, the doctors 
Mike just died within the last year and he was 75, they used to give women twilight sleep. And they also used to cross their legs and sit on them. And so Mike was the pressure of him trying to be born for like 16 hours and no other doctor performing the birth caused Mike's uh, physical and developmental disability. The doctors told my parents that he would never walk or talk and he would likely die before he was 20. And they recommended that my parents send him to Rosewood, which um, many parents, many people in Maryland know Rosewood as a very heinous institution. My parents didn't do that. And uh, Mike did walk, he did talk, he went to school and he lived to be 75. And he was also the heart of our family. Everything revolved around Mike. So all of us, except for Mike, attended uh, Catholic school grades one through 12. When Keel opened in the 60s, it was close by, it was state-of-the-art, and all my friends planned to attend. So I was thinking this was really going to be a great adventure for me. Well, do you have sisters that also went to Keogh? No, uh, my no. sister went to IND. Keogh did okay. not exist at the time, so she went okay. to IND. I have a younger sister, and she did go to Keogh. Okay. I know you're a couple years younger than I am, but... Keo was still a new school when you went there. What were some of your expectations about going to a new high school in the archdiocese? Yeah, I thought um, I was an artist at the time, and so I was really excited about uh, their art program, and I was always a really good student and a very motivated person, so I was really looking forward to this brand-new great school that was uh, there. And, uh, of course, it was right next door to the boys' school, and um, I had a boyfriend that went there. You know, I was really super psyched to be going to a place that was so well thought of and was so close by. I really looked forward to it. And so um, when my freshman year, I was the freshman, one of the freshmen, you know, whatever the homeschool, the mm-hmm. school leaders were in the freshman year, each one. And so that mm-hmm. was a good experience. And what year did you graduate? I graduated in 71. Okay, so you were just a year behind me. Okay. Yeah, I didn't think there was that much space. <laughs> when and how did you meet Father Maskell? Well, I had never met him before, but seen him kind of around the corners of the dances. He was always lurking at the edges with a scowl on his face, but we had had no contact. And then one day when I was a sophomore, I got a call to the office. And when I went there, they said, uh, Father Maskell wants to see you. And so I went to his office. He told me that he had been asking faculty and staff for recommendations for a special position that he had and that they had recommended me. The position was that of a confidential secretary. That person would be taking dictation and typing case notes on counseling sessions that he had with students who were also my peers. Maskell was the school psychologist and also the chaplain. He emphasized the secrecy of the work, how trustworthy the person uh, must be that had the position, and that that person couldn't share uh, what went on with anyone else outside of his office. I already had two jobs. I worked in a bingo hall and I worked in a dry cleaners. And my main goal was to get a car. Lil has seven siblings, so she knew sharing a car with her parents couldn't happen. So I said yes 
immediately because um, I was really excited about it, even though I had no idea who I would be working with. Well, I'm going to ask you to tell us a little bit more about the job that he offered you. But first of all, what what do you think he said to the teachers? What do you kind of characteristics do you think he um, articulated that that caused you know teachers on the faculty to recommend you? I um, I don't really know. I mean, you know as well as I do that um, the I was taken a dual track, although I don't know by sophomore year whether you were really doing that or not. But mm-hmm. um, I was typing and taking dictation, and I was I was 16. And so the confidentiality was the thing that he kept stressing time and time again, the secrecy, everything about not telling, you know. And mm-hmm. so uh, that kind of blew me away, but also made me feel very special. You know, and as a person that had eight siblings, you don't get a lot of opportunity to feel special, Mm -hmm. you know, especially with a special needs brother, because all of the attention of our parents was towards my brother. So that really intrigued me, you know, because I thought I was going to find out some juicy things, uh, which I did. And um, but I guess those were the kinds of things. Could she be trusted? Would she is she the kind of person that. is uh, frivolous or giggly, and I never was. I wasn't a girl that was with the popular girls. I was a pretty serious student and not one for uh, for getting into any trouble or, or to just, you know, goofing off or anything. So mm-hmm. I think that was the thing that I guess they, they uh, what I said I would do, I would do. You know, and so they weren't looking for anybody that would uh, gab about what was going on in there. Mm-hmm. If, if you don't mind me asking, were both of your parents living and were they, uh, I know you had a lot of brothers and sisters, but were they able to be involved at all in school? There was not a lot of involvement in school. And I was extremely independent. You know, I never asked for help and I never asked for anybody to get involved in my stuff. I think what my what made all of my brothers and sisters are very successful. And I think why is because uh, we saw uh, how much our parents struggled with our brother. It was so hard for them to get services for him. They were among the founding members of BARC, which is the Baltimore mm-hmm. Association of Retarded Citizens. There just wasn't anything for Mike at that time. And just to get him services so that he could walk, you know, and things like that, they spend all of their energy on that. So we were good kids just because to be bad would be to put more on them. And we didn't want to do that. And so it was it was kind of our little, uh, we all understood that we couldn't put more stuff on our parents because they had much, and they were great parents. They were really mm-hmm. good parents. But you looked at how much they struggled in the day-to-day just taking care of Mike. And we saw that all the time because we were there and looked at Mike and Mike had to struggle all the time that we wouldn't do anything that would increase their life any put more, more on them. So all of us were extremely independent and Mm -hmm. uh, just did for ourselves as opposed to Mm -hmm. kids that had either smaller families or parents that didn't have as big a burden as they did. So my parents weren't really involved in school, mm-hmm. you know, and we never gave them any reason to be because we were just so self-sufficient. Mm-hmm. It seems like Maskell knew everything about everybody, like their family issues or non-issues. 
university, I worked at a school, a private school, and um, you have access to a lot of information. And, and mm -hmm. given that, you know, even though he was a chaplain and he was a counselor, as you know, Gemma, he acted more like he was the principal, like he was in charge. Right. And so while all those charts and all your files should be, should be confidential, I feel very strongly it's like he knew everything that mm -hmm. was in all of those files. To clarify, files at private schools are kept confidential. But Lil believes, as do we, that Father Maskell likely bullied the nuns into allowing him to be in charge. This ensured he had access to confidential information, such as private student files. I think that one of the reasons why uh, Jean and May uh, were targeted is because we did come from such large families. Mm -hmm. um, and that means that the parents weren't watching as closely as other um, families mm -hmm. were. Mm -hmm. And so um, uh, it made it easier for him. Um, and I'm sure he knew that if you were working two other jobs to get a car, that you were diligent yeah. and that you were yeah. independent. So yeah. what I'm going to do, I'm going to ask you about the job, but only yeah. tell us as much as you're comfortable with. Sure. You tell mm -hmm. us like what happened the first day you were on the job. Did you do it in his office? Were you at a yeah, a typewriter, a computer. What what exactly happened? Yeah, we um, it, there was no computers those days. I mean, that was in the '60s, and so he would dictate, and I would take shorthand, and then I would transcribe it into written notes. The content uh, became uh, as we moved along. It became it was often sexual in nature. The students were experiencing some kind of sexual uh, issue. There was incest, venereal disease, promiscuity, even bestiality, group sex, you name it. You know, and I'm, um, here he is sitting across, he's got a desk in between the two of us facing him. He's looking at me the entire time. I'm taking shorthand, you know, but I'm going to be the supreme, you know, professional, you know, and act as if this isn't just like blowing my lid off. You know what I mean? Because, mm -hmm. uh, you know, as a 16-year-old, I have no experience with any of this. And so it took everything I had to act, uh, to not respond negatively to what he was saying. And so this was pretty much, you know, the way that it went. There was sometimes that it was just a normal, you know, depressed student or something. But more often than not, there was something sexual in nature going on. And then he would say sometimes that he would have to take the student to a gynecologist, and that was Dr. Richter, Dr. Christian Richter, because the girl was too frightened to tell her parents or because the parent was the one abusing them. And mm -hmm. so it was never included in anything that he dictated that he communicated to the parent what was going on. That was never part of in, included in that. During the matter, all of that time that I would sit and, and he had a typewriter there and I would sit and I would type. And then after that, at the end of each session, then he would talk to me and he would flatter me and he would make me feel very special. Like I was just the most fascinating, intelligent young girl, you know, in the world. And as if we were two adults talking to one another. And as uh, time went on, the uh, conversations got uh, more pressing and they became more personal. And he wanted to know about my boyfriend and my sex life and my relationship with my father and my family. 
and then he would uh, cast innuendo about uh, my father. My boyfriend was 100% Irish. My father is 100% Irish, you know, mm-hmm. and so he said that I wanted to have sex with my father because I was uh, had a boyfriend who was red-haired, and my father was red-haired, and they were both mm-hmm. Irish. So certainly this meant that I wanted to have sex with my father. You know, and of course, then I would protest, and we'd go back and forth and have this very challenging back and forth uh, thing. Then he did um, ink block test, and then he wanted to hypnotize me. I was, you know, being the arrogant little thing I was, you know, you can't hypnotize me, you can't hypnotize me. And he goes, oh, I'm sure I can't, you know, and uh, so we go back and forth, and I'm sure he did, you know, but to me, Mm -hmm. thinking that I'm that smart, you know, uh, it went through that whole thing. After a while, I remember the early times of our relationship for the first probably six weeks. And then he started giving me Cokes. And the Cokes were in a paper cup, and he would get them from his refrigerator and never give me a Coke in a can. He would always give me a Coke, some Coke in a um, paper cup. And that was a big deal to me because that, being in such a big family, we only had brandless food, you know, cheap food. So mm-hmm. that was really cool to have a Coke. You know, and but mm-hmm. then I, in retrospect, it didn't, it did not hit me uh, while I was going through it. But later, it hit me that I had no memories of those events when I would get the coat. You know what I mean? That there was nothing. I couldn't remember what had transpired when we were in those sessions when I was getting the coat. But everything that he talked to me about and the way that he praised me and everything that was. I, it was all classic grooming techniques, but I, for someone that child that didn't really receive much attention at home, you know, by virtue of how many kids there were there, then it was very effective and it was pretty memorable. The, the Cokes, I have very few memories of what transpired in the office by virtue of the Cokes, but I do remember being in the car and being uh, transported to Dr. Richter's office and also I imagine it's Dr. Richter's because I know it is a, I'm going somewhere and then I get to a gynecologist's office. So I am definitely in a gynecologist's office. I'm in the car and sometimes I'm with, I have a um, winter coat on and other times I do not, uh, but I am stupefied because there's nothing, I'm not looking at him, I'm not talking to him, I'm not looking out the window, my head is on my, my hands, my eyes are on my hands, which are in my lap, and they're unmoving. So I'm just staring straight at my hands on the couple of occasions that I can remember doing that, but everything is a haze, and I do not look at him or anything else. And then when I am in the gynecologist's office, then I am on the table, and I am my feet are in the stirrups, my skirt is up, and I am looking at myself uh, from up above, looking down on myself. And sometimes there are there are about a dozen men, and other times there are five, like four or five men. And I think they're men, but I don't know that they're men. I just think that they're men. And they're all in dark clothing. And um, they could be uniforms or they could be clerical robes, but they're all darkly clothed. And they seem to be different times because of the variation and where they are, the men are placed and, um, and how many 
there are. And so that's always been a very consistent memory, but I never could figure out where it came from or why I was having it. And, uh, and so I just thought, you know, hey, you're nuts, you know, or something, you know, because mm-hmm. where is this? this? Where could it possibly come from? Because I never connected with anyone else at school to verify anything. Even though Jean and I were friends, there was no uh, connection between her and I as to what anything was happening. I had no conscious memories of, of him doing anything to me. Uh, that, mm-hmm. that I could remember until the very last day of school. And mm-hmm. the very last day of school, I um, am out. And as you know, Gemma, on the last day of school, everybody gets wild. And mm-hmm. everybody starts hooting, hollering. And, you know, they start writing all over their blouses and shoes and stuff like that. And so I'm doing all of that. And then I get a call to the office. And they tell me to go see uh, Father Matt. And so I go there. And he's in front of the desk. And I've never seen him in front of the desk. He's always been behind the desk. And he gives me um, a bonus check. Um, and I take it. And then he starts crying and starts saying the loneliness of the priesthood. You can never have anyone. And on and on. And then saying that he loves me. And then he grabs me and gropes me, puts his hand on my breast, and he starts kissing me. And um, the one Thing that five brothers is good for is fighting back. And so I hit him and, you know, I get away from him, but not before scratching his face and uh, running out of there. So that's the last exchange I ever had with him. That was my last day of school. You have to tell us what happened when you got called up on the altar on the stage to accept an award. Yeah. <laughs> so, just, it's like, it's perfect. Yeah. And so the, um, so then, I guess it's a couple of days later, that's usually not long after that the graduation occurs, and that he gave me a special award for school service or something like that. And then I go up and, and he gives me the award and there's that scratch on his face. You know, so it was just a very surreal experience. And not only that, but then I went, I had been in a, a committed relationship for three years in high school. and my boyfriend broke up with me right before graduation and he was, had fallen in love with another girl in my senior class. And so I go out with my girlfriends to two parties, graduation parties, and I have not been out and about forever, you know, because I've, I've only been with my boyfriend. And so the, uh, the teachers in my, uh, my high school male teachers are in at these parties and they're making out with my, girl, my classmates, you know, at these parties. And I'm like, what the hell is going on? Mm -hmm. You know, not only did I just have this with this priest, but now these guys that I've had for class are there making out with my classmates. And so the world was truly turned upside down, you know, for me. You know, I just didn't have any idea what was going on. And uh, it just started me down a path all of that into just just complete chaos for a very long time. Well, I know Shane has some follow-up questions too, but can I ask you to go back to the job that he gave you? Do you remember how often, like in a typical week, you would have been in his office? And did that mean you got to skip class? Yes, it did mean I get to skip, skip class. Well, I worked at the bingo hall 
two two nights a week. And then I worked at the dry cleaner once a week. And I think I worked for him mostly about, it was set up originally for two times a week, but then he would call me out of class. Mm -hmm. So he could call me out of class at any time and I could get out of any test and anything by virtue Mm -hmm. of his, his, um, say so. So all of a sudden my name could come over the loudspeaker and I was summoned to his, uh, for what, just to give dictation. I mean, Mm -hmm. I didn't think anything of it and I can't believe I was such a stupid girl, but. Well, you weren't stupid. Well, I mean, I feel stupid now. Yeah. Was any of it after school? Yes. Mm-hmm. Some of it was. So, it was originally set up to be after school. You know, so how so, did you get uh, home? Uh, the late bus. Okay. When he was dictating these reports to you or whatever they were, was he just like talking off the top of his head or was he looking at notes? And did he talk? Did he give girls names? Yeah, they gave girls names. I don't remember whether he was talking talking off the top of his head or not because my head was on the uh, shorthand pad, you know, so I'm looking down at my shorthand pad and not really at, at what he's doing. But every time mm-hmm. I look up, he's looking at me. That so I do know pretty, that. Yeah. Incredulous for you to be hearing things about people that you knew that were going to school there. That was what the most, the weirdest thing was. And then my mother met him at some point in time and she was really rattled. And she said, I don't like him. I don't like the way he looks at you. I don't want you working for him anymore. And I got really upset with her. And I said, I can't believe you're, you know, you think that, oh, that's just so wrong and everything. And I refused to stop working for him. So she and I got into a terrible fight over it. But she was not wrong. But the one time she met him, she really disliked him. But that didn't stop me. And you were so, determined to get that car. I was determined, and I did get that. <laughs> yeah, of course. Well, moms know. <laughs> Mom, moms have insight, right? They Your did. Mom, you know, yeah. Yeah, but my mom yeah. and I, we, we were, uh, you know, we 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 conflicted a lot. But she was she was she was often right on the money. So, did you ever tell her what was going on at school? Um, going to the doctor, and she died very early. I didn't get to tell her. And I have an extremely Catholic family, and I honestly did not think anybody would believe me. Everything was so vague, and there was no one to corroborate it. And uh, I really didn't think they would believe me. <laughs>